AJ from New Hampshire writes in with today's question. Hello, Pastor John. While the disunity of the church in terms of its denominations is, in my mind, one of the most tragic and devastating developments in church history, the fact is that a plethora of denominations now exists in the world in general and in the U.S. in particular, and each has its own strengths and each has its own weaknesses. In light of this reality, would you please share how and why you decided to become a Baptist? Well, before I I say a word about why I'm a Baptist, let me go ahead and respond to a little bit of what he said about the divisions in the church, because that is painful and it is real, and, and we all need to have a way to think about it, and they do relate to each other. Divisions, some behavioral, some doctrinal, have been there uh, in the church from the beginning. Paul addresses this most explicitly, it seems, in First Corinthians. He says, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. That's 1 Corinthians eleven, eighteen. And what we hear in that sentence, it seems to me, is, um, and, and in the whole Old Testament, I mean, New Testament for that matter, is that disagreements and their resulting divisions are lamentable and inevitable in this world, owing, as best as I can see, to sin, finiteness, cultural diversity, personality differences, and, and so on. You can hear the lament in 1 Corinthians 1.10, where he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and, and with the same judgment. Um, and you hear the inevitability of it in the text that I already mentioned, namely 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen, there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So it seems to me that, that all of us who are Christians need to decide how we will do our part to minimize the lamentable divisions and not be paralyzed or utopian in our view of of the inevitability of divisions until Jesus comes back. It seems to me that top-down efforts at global unity inevitably lay claim to powers that belong only to Jesus. And I think you can see that in the Roman Catholic Church. When I look for guidance in the New Testament about how to minimize lamentable divisions, what I find is not an emphasis on institutional structures claiming to give a unified public front to hundreds of subgroups like macro-ecumenical organizations. Rather, what I find is a repeated effort to overcome pride and selfishness and vainglory and to work for a common mindset of doing good to others even when you are at odds with each other for some reason. And the best example I know of this is found in Philippians 2, 2 through 4. And and watch now how Paul moves from a call to one-mindedness 
to a call for humility and service. Here's the, here's the way it goes. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And now here's how he fleshes it out. Next verse. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We can't control unity of belief, but we can give ourselves to serve each other in love. You can't force unity of belief because beliefs are not mere actions of the will, but deep delights of the heart. So the only way ultimately to pursue unity of belief is to speak the truth in love. Unity not based on truth is just not biblical unity. And speaking that truth must happen in love if we hope it to make any progress in unity. So what I think all that means for each of us is that we search the scriptures, try to discern what we see to be true, and then we give ourselves to the communities of faith that share that truth, and we seek in love and service to maintain the unity of those communities in, in lowliness and humility and kindness and meekness and gentleness and forbearance and forgiveness. And we do our best to love those in other communities so that the world will see our love, not just our disagreements. Now, the reason I'm a Baptist uh, is first, very simply, because I grew up in a Baptist home. Let's just be honest. But then, with every stage of my education, first Wheaton, then Fuller Seminary, then the University of Munich in Germany, where I was the only Baptist that I knew of uh, in the entire theological faculty there at the University of Munich, at every stage, the challenges to my Baptist commitments became more and more intense. So I had to test my inherited convictions by scriptures over and over again during those 10 years, especially of higher education. Um, and to this day, I have not been able to be persuaded that baptizing infants is warranted by the New Testament. That's the main reason that I'm a Baptist. I don't believe in infant baptism. Um, now, that's, this is probably not the place to go into any exegetical defense of that, but I'm, I'm willing to if we want to do it in another podcast. The point here should, should probably simply be that for me to be a, a gospel-believing, Bible-guided Christian is foremost. Second in priority is to embrace the gospel-embodying, gospel-protecting, Bible-rooted, joy-sustaining, God-glorifying doctrines of grace. And only third, I would say, are my Baptist convictions, and that enables me then to have a good bit of fellowship outside my own denominational connections. And I hope 
that through my writings and speaking, the truth of Scripture is being promulgated in the world in such a way that more and more people are brought closer and closer to the central truths and therefore to each other. Excellent priority as well. I, for one, am glad that you're Baptist and a Reformed Baptist at that and a, a pioneer for so many of us who have followed you along this path. Thank you, Pastor John. And we'll keep uh, infant baptism, that question, for another time. If you have a question, you can email it into us at uh, askpastorjohn at desiringgod.org. You can also find our audio feeds and our episode archive all through our online home at desiringgod.org forward slash John, And you can send us an email from that homepage as well. Friday, we're going to talk about revival. What is revival? How does it start? What does it look like today? And uh, how similar is it to personal revival? Looking forward to all of those questions. I'm your host, Tony Ranke. We'll see you on Friday.